Good evening. Welcome to the Bright Not Broken radio show. I'm Diane Kennedy. Good evening and welcome to the Bright Not Broken radio show. I'm Diane Kennedy. And I'm Rebecca Banks. And And we're here to talk to you tonight about Bright Not Broken. That's right. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We, if I can get my my volume here off, we are here to talk tonight about our book, Bright Not Broken. We are the authors of the Bright Not Broken book, Twice Exceptional Children. We are here to talk tonight. Are you there, Becky? I am. Okay. I'm sorry. The computer went went out on me. We're having all kinds of technical issues here tonight with that. Give me just one second to get that back up again. I'm getting feedback, and I need to turn my volume down. There we go. Okay. Now I think I've got it. Okay. Um, now let me start all over again. <laughs> we are... Uh, Moms on a Mission, that's how we began exactly um, almost 10 years ago. And we started with a book called The ADHD Autism Connection. It was about us looking for answers as mothers to help our children. It led us to a series of events um, in finding out that there's more to our children than just the diagnoses that they were given, such as ADHD, autism, bipolar, just a whole variety of labels. And we ended up learning about uh, the gifts and the importance that um, the gifts are in our children's life. And we look at that as sort of a whole child. Um, And we uh, came together once again to write our second book called Bright Not Broken, Twice Exceptional Children, Why They're Stuck and How to Help Them. And we're going to talk a little bit tonight about those areas and let you know what's coming up in the future and how we're going to get of these topics individually. Becky? I'm sorry you cut out, Diane, but um, I just thought it would be interesting for our listeners to hear our background a little bit, our stories as moms and our children, um, just what started us on the journey with the ADHD Autism Connection. And Diane, since it started with you, why don't you share your story first? Well, um, when I began, gosh, this would have been probably about 15 years ago Mm -hmm. when Sam, my youngest son, uh, was misdiagnosed with ADHD, behavior issues, ODD, oppositional defiant disorder, if anyone has heard that label. Um, We began and uh, looked for answers beyond the behavior because we knew there had to be something more. And it's important to to indicate that at a very early age, Sam was diagnosed um, or identified, I should say, when we tested him uh, for his disabilities. We also discovered that his IQ was in the high uh, 140s, which is pretty high for for um, a child. 
and we discovered that he was extremely advanced. But it didn't take long for us to sort of gloss over that as the behavior issues became front and center. And like most parents, we focused on those issues that seemed to be um, just really consuming him. And when he started school, of course, the behavior issues became a focus there as well. We knew that there were more answers than what we were finding with this diagnosis of behavior problems, uh, ADHD and ODD, and we ended up in the autism spectrum, which made absolute sense to us. We ended up learning about Asperger's syndrome and how these are common characteristics. We learned about social communication problems, although Sam was highly verbal. He also had issues with um, being able to communicate and relate to others. He could speak just fine. It was the relatedness that was the problem, which we came to understand as Asperger's syndrome. That led us to our first book, The ADHD Autism Connection, as we looked for those answers of how ADHD is often diagnosed rather than and misdiagnosed rather than some of the more comprehensive answers that are found when you have a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome. And then that um, led us to uh, led me to Becky when uh, it was time to put all of this information into writing. And Becky is a writer and a mom and uh, also uh, an educator. We came together, we wrote the first book, and then um, we understood really how to appreciate the gifts that our children have, and we've come full circle back to really focusing on their gifts and talents and understanding that sometimes that's the treatment in itself, is looking at exactly what's right with them and not getting so lost and just absolutely drowning in what's wrong with them. Well, and as a mom, too, you're right, Diane, um, our journeys began well over a decade ago. And my two children, um, I have two children. My daughter is my youngest, and my son is is the older one. He did not present with any disabilities. In fact, he was identified gifted and put into the advanced program in school and in the gifted and talented track, if you will, Whereas my daughter, early on, about 18 months or so, at 18 months of age, I noticed that she was different. She processed differently. And I just got that sick feeling in my stomach that there's something going on. And for the longest, the doctors, the pediatricians would tell me, well, this is normal development. Um, her speech was not as clear um, as a young as, as a toddler and developing. Even though she did speak early, it was the clarity of the speech. There was definitely an impediment. And I saw um, recall issues with her and um, not so much the learning, but it was when she went to retrieve the information there were there were issues. And she had a lot of sensory challenges that at the time I wasn't aware of what sensory issues were. Um, I only knew that loud noises would send her um, into screaming fits or she would ball up and just become absolutely silent in the face of too much stimuli. Anyway, um, but with her challenges, um, I entered the world of disabilities early on, and she was diagnosed with central auditory processing disorder, um, pretty severe dyslexia, um, like I said, sensory processing issues. Um, a little bit later, the label of post added because of her repetitive behaviors and um her obsessions and um, the ADD, um, not ADHD, um, has all 
been a label that uh, has along with anxiety. So we have this whole host of labels with her, and I'm focused so much on the disabilities that um, her giftedness um, took took the back seat for the longest until we could kind of, I don't know if you will, mediate, mitigate the challenges. My son, on the other hand, he's progressing along well until about middle school. And I shared this with Dr. Webb last week when we were interviewing him, and it was in about the seventh grade when Graham's grades started dropping and of that, uh, we, I couldn't figure out what was going on because he had always always had decent grades, but he was diagnosed with HD and then um, oppositional defiant disorder and um, other labels have come along the way and, but in the process of getting the disabilities diagnosed and the challenges that he was having um, with processing of, of his uh, his learning disabilities that were becoming apparent. He was exited from the gifted program, and again, the emphasis became on the disabilities. And so I think one thing that Diane and I share is just the importance of realizing that we had to understand not only our children, but why, they're getting, why they were getting so stuck in the disabilities before we could figure out how to help them. Because every time we wanted to approach the giftedness, the emphasis tended to be on the disabilities. And so I think we started realizing the importance of looking at the whole child. And as we worked with Temple Grandin, um, she just just enlightened us, didn't she, um, about the importance Absolutely. of the giftedness, um, not, be, not understanding um, what's going on in the disabilities world. And at the same time, in disabilities, the giftedness isn't fully realized or appreciated. And so... Temple's mission has always been to kind of bring these two worlds together, and in our work with her, we kind of picked up on it, especially as we started looking at why they're stuck, what systems exist that kind of trap our kids, and keep us as parents looking at not the whole child, but splintered pieces, rather than being allowed to embrace our children for their strengths and their challenges, too often we get so trapped in one or the other that um, I don't think we'll be in a total service to our kids, if you will. No, and and one thing I'd like to mention when we talk about Temple and how excited she was to join us in this project, Temple often talks about, and she mentions it in her um, in her foreword to this book, where she talks about. Um, so many kids now are coming up to her and they're identifying themselves with their autism and she thinks that um they're they're missing out who they are that their autism is not who they are she likes to say that she is a doctor of animal science first and a person with autism second and i i think that's really significant it's something that um i know is so near and dear to her heart that she thinks so many of these children with gifts and, um, you know, with exceptional talents and abilities, need to really see that in themselves. And that's something that uh, she had been doing some work in the gifted community prior to us approaching her about this book. And um, it's part of why she was so excited to come together with us. And she still is. She just feels that amongst all of these communities, these label, you know, labeling uh, communities we have, such as... um, um, 
you know, the ADHD world and the autism world and that we need to uh, really come together um, and, and share information amongst the gifted communities, the disability communities, the educational communities that that encompass all of this. I think it's a sharing of information. I think that's one of our goals on this program. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, definitely. And I think it's also, as we share, it's so important that we start to understand more deeply um, all of the hidden abilities and impairments that inform our children's behaviors and that inform the way that they act and they think so that we're not just labeling and medicating or labeling and and treating and we can take on a whole host of approaches and understand children in terms of um, how to best support the whole child rather than just one part of, of who they are. That's right. And and I think, um, you know, another important piece to that, Rebecca, is that we really want to emphasize that uh, when we look at the whole child, we are not trying to discount in any way the struggles that our children have. We we each, mm-hmm. you know, um, <laughs> have had very, very real experiences knowing the the intense struggles that our children have. And, and sometimes when autism is used and we reference kids who are, are high-functioning, we tend to, to think, well, it's mild because we believe what we see as the impairment is mild. But, you know, it's really important to understand that impairment is hidden and um, a lot of times children will use their IQs to compensate, to sort of learn how to get along in the world, although they're masking the true deficit that really entangles them and, and really does make them suffer. Um, because we can't always see it doesn't mean it's not there, and that's an important piece when we look at the whole child. And also, you bring it up, um, the, this aspect of IQ masks so much. It can be masking the, the the social communication impairment that may be in autism that causes so much debilitation and, and pain in our high-functioning, higher IQ kids. The same with learning disabilities, that that IQ will often mask the learning disability or the dis- learning disability will mask the IQ so that to get a real read on our kids is, is quite difficult. And that was another aim in our book is to kind of lay out how these different conditions mask one another and kind of um, the interplay between the two so that parents can see that um, that this isn't just one a child being obstinate one day or a child behaving badly, but oftentimes it's a sign that there's something else going on, and that something else could be giftedness, it could be a hidden impairment, it could be um, just a host of many things. And and the IQ is really key to understanding that um, the masking and, and the TUI population is what makes these kids so hard to define, so hard to identify. They're almost an enigma, even in the classroom, especially in the classroom. Um, it's just, it's a challenge. It's truly a challenge. And that's why it's so important that giftedness and disabilities communicate with each other in terms of the fields communicating and sharing information. That's right. And something I'd like to point out is, 
as we did our own homework and research for this book mm-hmm. and and for our um trying to get the answers that we needed we found that there was a rich field of information in the gifted world and it was uh housed under a new term which we've been using here a whole lot called twice exceptional and that is exceptional children who uh perhaps have been uh diagnosed or identified with a learning disability with a diagnosis ADHD autism and also with um with a, a gift uh, giftedness and when we look at those two terms coming together and we understood that there was this movement if you will in twice exceptional we found just some wonderful, wonderful information that we said this is the piece that was missing about our children. And some of those experts have become um, wonderful acquaintances of ours, and we refer to them often. We post their information on our Facebook page. Um, We have talked about them and referenced them in our book, and we will be having um, some of those wonderful experts on this program as we look more in-depth in several of these topics, but we will be covering Twice Exceptional and some of the research that's going on in the gifted world um, coming up later this year as well. And something I'd like to add is when we talk about gifted, um, Dr. Webb pointed this out last week. Um, he's the founder of SING, Supporting Emotional Needs of Gifted Children, and also of the gifted, and also um, just He's a noted gifted expert, but he said giftedness is not just IQ, but it's also a talent or a special ability. So um, we That's don't want right. to get hung up in terms of it just being an IQ or a number, but oftentimes um, that's what allows the, the twice exceptional child is because they're functioning with an average or above average IQ in addition to perhaps an area of talent that they appear more normal and less impaired, and that's that masking that we're talking about. And that would be why getting an accurate diagnosis is so difficult. That's one reason why. And another reason um, that our kids tend to get labeled and stuck is because of the diagnostic system itself. That's something else we discovered is moms looking for answers, is um, why the labels that our children were getting weren't giving us the answers that we needed. And, Diane, um, do you want to explain a little yeah. bit about that journey? Absolutely. And and let me just say, we as we broke our book down into sections of identifying, it's important first to understand who who they are, what, you know, all these pieces that make them up, why they're stuck, and of course we all need to know how to help them. But something that's really important to point out about our work and what we do that is significantly different is when we look at, and we of course have researched and looked for just the absolute best ways of helping our children and, and you know, looked at every method that's out there and continue to um, review every method that's out there and and to share with other professionals and parents. But something that's really important is that we need to look at sometimes the best way to help our children is to understand why they're stuck. And that brings us back to our systems 
that are flawed. And, and the diagnostic manual, the DSM, that uh, is what is used whether, you know, we go to um, a clinician or a pediatrician and we get a diagnosis for our kids. This system is being overhauled. It's been uh, under review for the past several years. It, it is probably one of the largest sources, probably the largest source of controversy in our mental health system right now. And and we've done a lot of research um, on on the trials and tribulations that are going on with that, and we continue to stay up to date with that because it is important for parents. Although you might think, I really don't need to know about that, you know, the DSM, that's for my doctor to decide. Absolutely, we are not physicians and by any means. We are parents, but we believe in educating ourselves, um, and, and we think that's important for parents to do, to have an understanding of what that system is. In, in our book, it's why we call it the, um, the layman's guide to the DSM, because uh, I, I'm going to credit that with, with Rebecca's wonderful writing talents and abilities, that it's a, a tough subject, and we hope that we have defined it in terms that will relate to other parents as we've understood it ourselves, that these systems continue to trap our kids, especially um, because it is set up in a categorical way. In other words, you can have an either-or diagnosis. In, in recent years, so much controversy has been about these co-occurring disorders or um, comorbidities as they're referred to in the technical term, and that is saying that a child has both ADHD and autism. But a lot of that work reflects on what we did in our first book to lay down when you've got identical symptoms, you can't be exclusive about saying those symptoms belong to another disorder. It gets real muddy. And that's where by piling on these diagnosis, uh, diagnoses, a lot of times that's when the medication gets piled on. We give so many for each of the diagnoses. The next thing we know, we've got a multi-labeled child with a cocktail medication going on and nobody's getting better and things are going from bad to worse. And we we just believe in looking at the cardinal error, and that that is uh, what's going on in a system that perhaps is flawed, and uh, maybe the categorical system is is not going to continue. I know that there's a lot of controversy and a lot of change uh, being being directed uh, before this new manual comes out. And we will be looking at that extensively and bringing in some experts who have been um, on the the committees for the diagnostic manual and talking with them later in depth um, in some of our shows in the future. But um, go ahead, Rebecca. Well, what I was getting ready to say is I think a lot of people, uh, especially experts, agree that the categorical system as it was um, envisioned and created back in the 1980s, um, works very well because they need discrete communities to to study different um, symptoms. But what has happened is it's a disaster at the clinical level when these labels are applied um, so stringently and children are given multiple labels at once. And so... As you said before, um, we just have to be really careful as these labels are, are I don't know, accepted, if you will, not mm-hmm. to just jump on and, and medicate each and every symptom that our children have, especially when you're talking about brain, brains that are gifted, children who have 
unique abilities, and at the same time, um, we're putting medication into developing brains. We don't know what that medication's doing. It's not been tested. And so that's why we look also at, at alternative therapies. As you understand the symptoms and the impairments that underlie a lot of the labels, then you don't um, necessarily have to simply medicate. There are other ways to approach the challenges. That's right, and and that's uh, so important, especially when we look at the misdiagnosis in the in the large numbers in ADHD that are um, co-occurring, and and we point this out um, in our statistics in the book as we talk about sometimes that's up to a hundred percent co-occurrence where we you know really had to scratch our heads with that and say are we really absolutely sure of what we're calling ADHD if we have such a high level of co-occurring a disorder can you really sort out which you know which disorder is really the primary when you have that that much of a of an overlap as some people refer to it as but really we have to be careful with that term because we've got to look underneath and see what the impairments are and um that's ADHD is certainly one of the biggest um, disorders, if not the largest, that has that comorbidity rate. Well, and it's so often confused. When you think about the symptoms being inattention, hyperactivity, if it's the hyperactive type, subtype, impulsivity, um, when you have those three symptoms, especially inattention and impulsivity, those symptoms are not exclusive to a single disorder. In fact, those symptoms are associated with giftedness, they're also associated with post-traumatic stress disorder, bipolar disorder. They're associated with um, all different kinds of um, poverty, uh, child abuse, all, all those different things that, that children, that, that can create inattention and impulsivity in a child. I'm not saying every child experiences that, but that we have to understand that that symptom set is not exclusive to a label and that it's often confused. And so that when we get children labeled with ADHD or ADD, then a little while later something else emerges and then something else emerges and a new label and a new label. We're not getting the full clinical picture. And so that's why so often that initial label of ADD, ADHD is accompanied by yet another label or another diagnosis. And I'm so glad that you brought up those symptoms because as as we look at these changes that are trying to be implemented for the new diagnostic manual, especially in ADHD, there's been a lot of talk about making ADHD rather than an inattention or a hyperactive disorder, a disorder of executive function. And that's something I know we're going to discuss. We could have probably a whole month's worth of episodes on that topic mm-hmm. But it's really important, I'd like to point that out as you were discussing that, because that leads us um, to one of the one of the largest disorders which talks about executive function issues, and that's autism spectrum disorders. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, and, and again we go back to uh, we got to be careful as ADHD attempts to claim uh, to, to change the, the definition into an executive function disorder. Yes, the the children who've been identified with ADHD, of course, the executive function disorder is is what they're seeing. 
but we've once again got to look at autism has been identifying executive function issues for a long time, long before ADHD really was looking at this. And um, and when we have a disorder, the point is that this is the primary issue only with that disorder. And I I know that you know it just doesn't seem possible for ADHD to make that claim, knowing how that research has been going on in autism for quite some time. So that's a really big controversy that uh, that we will look at in depth. And in in terms of the new DSM that's coming out, something else with regard to autism spectrum disorders is that um, everyone's been concerned about Asperger's um, and the Asperger's population Mm -hmm. not being um, recognized or properly diagnosed with the upcoming changes that are proposed. And um, that is a, a, a legitimate concern, I believe, because when you consider that right now, up to three quarters of the high functioning uh, individuals with autism are missed uh, or misdiagnosed, then um, that is a large concern and it's an understandable concern, especially since the emphasis in the new DSM is on repetitive stereotypes, behavior, patterns of behavior, which in the higher functioning population are not always obvious physical patterns. Instead, those are patterns that can be thought patterns, repetitive thought patterns that may or may not express themselves in behaviors, but certainly ruminations and and considerations. So um, as these changes are being proposed, they're also coming up with new disorders that they're they're adding to the categories. The newest one that's being, one of the newest ones that's being proposed is social communication disorder, which, as we know, is the core component of autism. But if a if a individual doesn't qualify for an autism diagnosis because of the uh, lack of repetitive behaviors, then they could be um, diagnosed with social communication disorder and ADHD. So what we're getting in this this new diagnostic uh, manual that's that's being proposed and that is <laughs> under construction right now are more disorders that can actually convolute and hide and add labels to an already struggling, high-functioning, twice-exceptional population. And so as moms, it is something that concerns us. That's right. And I think um, as we sort of wind down here and get prepared for our upcoming shows, um, I'd like to mention that, um, of course, you can – learn about our shows and keep posted with us with by visiting uh, thecoffeeclatch.com and also brightnotbroken.com. And the, an important point that we'd like to leave you with is in understanding how to help these children, the best way is by understanding why they're stuck. If we don't understand the hidden abilities, uh, hidden, uh, abilities and impairments, how can we find safe, effective therapies for our children? That is... Um, is really what we're all about and what we hope to bring um, more resources and information to our listeners in future episodes. Anything you'd like to add, Rebecca? No, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening, and I'm really looking forward to some enlightening discussions in the future with our guests. Absolutely. Thank you for listening today, and, and we look forward to um, to meeting once again here on the Coffee Clatch Network at um, the Bright Not Broken radio show. Thank you so much. <laughs>